of scripture, I don't think it would be amiss for us just to take the time to read the entire uh, chapter. And so you can follow along with me if you would like. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Translation. So before we get into uh, a little bit more detailed verse-by-verse study, uh, give attention at the end to the reading of God's Word, beginning in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Am I on or off? Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we, will, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the things or to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may God bless the reading of his word. That's a glorious chapter. And it's within that chapter in verse 28 that is my favorite verse in all the Bible. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. But what an amazing chapter. We could spend a whole quarter on this one chapter, but our question uh, is found in verse 35, and so I want us to concentrate on the question that uh, our lesson has for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, so, what I'd like to do is just go back up to verse 31, the immediate context of verse 35, 
and sort of do a verse-by-verse -verse study in the time that uh, we have left to get the full meaning of the question that's under discussion. So let's begin with uh, verse 31. Again, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, look at that and uh, consider it. Again, he is summing up all that has gone before in chapter 8. What shall we say then to these things? What things? It is the preceding verses in that chapter that we've just read. And he sort of summarizes it by saying, what all of this is really saying is simple. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that is just simply it's profound, it's simple, but it's something that we can take to the bank in this troubled world. And so one thing that I want to emphasize here is... Uh, the phrase, in Christ. It, it's amazing how often the Apostle Paul uses uh, this phrase. It, he begins it in, very, in the very first verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is a very significant phrase. In fact, I think we could even uh, do a pretty good job justifying the claim that that's Paul's theme in all of his epistles. Uh, in Christ, I believe I read uh, somewhere, someone had gone to the trouble to, to count up the times. Yeah, 169 times the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, in Christ in his epistles. That is everything. And so in Christ, we see absolute safety, salvation. And so really the only moral concern that the Christians has to worry about is with him being in Christ, making sure that he is in Christ, and furthermore, remaining in Christ. These verses are appealed to by those who would claim that once saved, we're always saved and that nothing can derail us despite anything that we do. If we are once saved, we're always saved. But being in Christ is conditional. We know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and, and following that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. And as we have heard before, reading that literally, we say, if we keep on walking in the light, then the blood of Jesus' his Son keeps on cleansing us from our sins. It's a continuous action there in the original language. So the word if shows us that it's conditional. Yes, the love of Christ has brought salvation to all. He loved the whole world. And once we are in Christ, then we know that we have salvation as long as we remain in Christ. 
If we choose to step outside the light, return to the world of sin, forsaken Christ, then that blood will not continue to cleanse us from our sins. And so that is the case with Paul. He keeps using the term in Christ. So given the integrity that that relationship uh, is uh, for salvation, then we know that the child of God is secure. For the person in Christ, it is a fact that if that's the case, then certainly God is for him. God is for him in every way. So it shows us that God is not simply just a, a judge, but if God is for us, then God is not just a detached or disinterested judge, but he is a helper. He is a protector. He's a benefactor. I think Paul puts it pretty well in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 that for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God working in us. We go on then to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is trying to assure the Christians that receive this letter to use logic. If you're in Christ, then that means that God is for you. He's for you because he gave his only begotten son that whoever chooses to believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So if you're in Christ and you remain in Christ, then God is for you. God didn't spare his son in order for that to happen. It took a piece of God himself as a sacrifice so that we might be saved a part of God himself. Jesus, his only son. So he says, uh, he, God, who did not spare his own son, if, if God did that, if God went so far as to offer a piece of himself in order that we might be saved, then don't you think he would provide for us everything that we need in this life? Uh, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, he says, He that spared not his son but delivered him up, how shall we not also, he not also with him, freely give us all things? And that is a, a blessed statement. We as Christians, as Children of God in Christ, as long as we walk in the light as he is in the light, we've got everything we need. We could not have a penny to our name, yet we would have everything that we need, spiritually speaking. Everything that we need to ensure our eternal salvation. And so the great gift that God gave for us was his only son. And so surely the love that provided such that such an unspeakable gift as that 
could not fail then to give us whatever we might need in order to accomplish that purpose. So we look at the rhetorical question here. Uh, will he not also graciously give us all things? If you think about that, it's a, a, a bit overwhelming. We are rich. We are wealthy beyond measure. Our Father is the creator of the universe. Our Savior is his Son. Don't you know that whatever we need to sustain ourselves spiritually, we have? And we ought to be able to sleep at night with that kind of promise. We come on down then to verses 33 and 34. And again, it's sort of a rhetorical question that Paul is using here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who is he to condemn? He says, you'll remember in the very first verse of this chapter, what did it say? There is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who is there to condemn? If Jesus Christ says that if you are in me, there is no condemnation. So is, who is there to condemn us? And the world may try to do that in physical ways, in psychological ways. It might try to beat us down and defeat us in our claim of being children of God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that blood keeps on cleansing us. And there is no condemnation. Yes, we sin. Because if you look in 1 John chapter 1 on down toward verses 9 and 10, if we say we have no sin, then we are liars and we make God a liar. So yes, we're still human. We do have the capacity to sin. And in our weakness, we do sin. But we simply try to do our best, don't we? We know the will of God. We have his word, which is the light. And if we do our best to walk in that light, we may stray uh, from time to time, and we do stray from time to time. But if we always keep our focus on Christ, who's at the finish line encouraging us to finish the race, then we are saved. And the scriptures teach that we can know that we have eternal life, as John further develops in his epistles. We can know that we have eternal life. Uh, there was a, a time when 
I looked at that and, and I felt like, well, maybe that's a little presumptuous for me to say that um, I know I'm saved. You, uh, I believe I saw you sinning the other day, and then you stand before me and say you know that you are saved. But it's not being presumptuous. If we are sincere, if we are sincerely trying to do our best, when we know that we have sinned, we repent, we ask God to forgive us, that blood keeps on flowing. And so in that, in that sense, we can know that we have eternal life. We can know that we are saved. And thank God for that. So who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, was raised. And then verse 34, uh, or any, in verse 33, who shall bring any charge? Who is he who condemns? In verse 34, and then that brings us to the verse that our lesson is, is centered on, uh, verse uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The whole chapter 8 of Romans is showing and demonstrating in various ways the supreme love of God for mankind. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the love of Jesus. That is the love of God. So who can separate us from that love? Verse 35 reads, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And he could go on and on and on with this line of thinking, but this is representative to make a point that there is nothing really that can cause God and Christ to stop loving us. They will never stop loving us. That is not to say that it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to save you. If man chooses of his own will to step out of the light and to begin a sinful uh, life for himself, that's his choice. And God still loves him. Christ still loves him, although he's in a lost state at this point. Because Christ is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. And so the short answer uh, to all of this is found in verse 37 where it says, no, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But who will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? And he lists all of these things. Uh, yes, it is true that all such things as he lists here uh, can discourage us if we allow it. If our guard is down, if we are at a low point in, in life, yeah. Who among us can say that they've never been discouraged, even as a Christian? We all have. 
There are times that we might even question God in such cases as the loss of a loved one or a spouse or a child. And it's human sometimes to question God. Uh, have you stopped looking? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? That's our humanity. That, that's our flesh. But it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving us. He's always there. If we find ourselves in a low point away from God, we have to ask ourselves, who moved? Not God. It's you that have moved. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And as I said, I believe the whole chapter is demonstrating the love of God, the love of Christ through His Spirit, through His Word. Nothing shall separate us. Nothing can separate us. We might separate ourselves, but nothing on God's part will ever cause Him to stop loving us. He hates sin. He hates the sin that we commit but he loves our soul and he wants us to be with him throughout eternity. In verse 35, he quotes there from a uh, psalm. I believe it's, uh, well, I had it written down there, the psalm. Do you have it in your center column? The psalm that he uh, quotes here, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Psalm 44, 22. So Paul here quotes this psalm to back up what he is uh, saying. So then in verse 37, he emphatically answers, No, nothing can separate us from God's love for us. And he says, in all these things, what things? Well, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. This is written to first century Christians. The church was born in times of persecution. We think that we have it rough right now with culture being adamantly against Christianity and persecuting us in various ways. Consider the first century Christians. The Jews were persecuting the church. The Roman Empire was persecuting the church. There was tribulation. There was distress. There was persecution. And all these other things. And Paul is writing this to those Christians. Knowing all of these things. What? We are more than conquerors, not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors, over and above, abundantly, no matter what's happening around us or to us. We're more than conquerors through Christ, through Him who loved us. So this is Christ's love for man under discussion here. 
if we look uh, at this and consider it, uh, these were all things that were, as I said, things going on in the lives of those first century Christians. But the same can be true, uh, can be said at any age since the first century to the present concerning Christians, because we are of the world when the world hated Christ. Jesus said, if that's the case, it will also hate you. Don't be surprised if you come under persecution. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's going to come upon you. It, it's a fact. The way is broad that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat, for straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. We are the few. They are the many. And we are going to be persecuted in, in various ways. So all of these things is just as applicable to us today as they were to the Christians receiving this letter. So let's just accept it. We do try to do our part at the uh, polls, the elections. We try to put in people who believe in God, who believe in God's word, and the principles of the Bible. I think it's our duty to try to do that the best we can. But in the end, it's just the way it is. And heaven's gonna be great. Heaven's our reward. So he says, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him. And then he ends with this, you might say superlative. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Isn't it great being a Christian? We know that we have God's love and we know that he wants us to be with him in eternity. We know how to bring that about through humble obedience to his will. It has to be in Christ. That's the only place where we're going to find salvation and all of the spiritual blessings. How do we get into Christ? We get into Christ by baptism. Faith is necessary. Repentance is necessary. Confession of Christ as the Son of God is necessary. But that which puts us into Christ, there are only two scriptures in all of God's Word that literally tells us how one gets into Christ. And that's Romans 6, verses 3 and following. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And then, then Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we know where we are. We know that we're in Christ. 
and how we get into Christ. We know how to stay in Christ. So we thank God for Romans chapter 8 and for the reassurance that it gives us of the love of Christ through, of God through Jesus Christ and what it means for us. So thank you for your attention.